turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 20. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 38 today. And what we're going to be considering uh, is a biblical vision of leadership. Uh, and I think it's important as a church uh, that you have healthy expectations of your leaders, uh, that there is a, a responsibility uh, that, the, that specifically the elders and the pastoral team, but even, even lay leaders, uh, like community group leaders, that there are expectations uh, that are appropriate uh, from a biblical mandate of what does it mean to actually lead uh, as Christians. And I want us to consider that today. I want to begin uh, with just, just this simple statement that an aspect of leadership that I, I see stressed in the book of Acts uh, is its servant nature. And I think that that's really important, that leaders are not above the church to dominate it. They are, if you like, beneath it to serve it. That is how Jesus served the church. Uh, in fact, Jesus himself in Luke chapter 22, verses 25 through 26, and it says, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is one who serves. And so I'd like to frame uh, our exploration of the characteristics of leadership from a biblical perspective as the characteristics of servant leadership. The challenge of that is, is the church in the West is often driven by cult of personality. Uh, I mean, you look at even the makeup of this room uh, that we're meeting actually in a performance hall, um, and I'm standing on a stage that is, that is higher than most of you. It's easy uh, for you to come to hear the preacher preach, and it's easy for me to uh, at least come uh, from the perspective of preaching down to you. That's why those in uh, the balcony actually have a far better understanding of servant leadership. Uh, and so I think that, that this is important. This is a super important topic, though. And I think that this particular chapter in Acts gives us a picture of what servant leadership is. And so um, we're going to jump right into this. And, and I want to just begin with verses 17 through 19. Uh, I'm going to put, put them up in the slides. But I want to begin by saying that a servant leader, I'm going to give you seven marks of servant leadership. Begin by saying that a servant leader uh, is humble. And this is what happens in our story. Now from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he's calling the leadership um, of the church in, in Ephesus, which is probably a series of house churches, uh, and the elders, which are the overseers. Uh, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, I want to just begin by showing you that Paul calls these elders together. He knows that this is going to be the last time he sees them. He wants to impart to them wisdom. And he begins by talking about his own ministry, and he refers to his ministry as humble. Now, we often think in terms of that anyone who is truly humble would not say that they were humble. Uh, but I think that that actually shows a misunderstanding of what humility is. Um, humility is not necessarily self-forgetfulness. 
Um, it's definitely not self-denigration. Uh, it is not pretending uh, that one has no gifts. It is recognizing that whatever gifts we have come, uh, we have come from God and can only be exercised effectively in his strength. It is no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. So I think that the best way to define humility is total and absolute dependence upon the spirit of God to do the work of God. That's why I say that Christianity, even in its essence, uh, is, is not God getting us out of hell and into heaven, uh, but it's, it's God it's getting God out of heaven back into the hearts, of, uh, heart, the hearts of humanity, that we might be restored into his likeness, that we might have his spirit within us guiding us and directing us. And humility is total dependence upon him in such a way that you recognize that the gifts that you have, how you're hardwired, all that you have, it's, it's all, it all belongs to him. I am not my own. Uh, and I think that this is really important. You know, actually, a person that I would argue is probably the most humble uh, man I have ever known is actually Tim Mackey. And for those of you who were here when Tim was teaching, what made Tim so humble is that he was never driven by ego. Um, and, and, but he also was fully aware of, of where God had gifted him, and he utilized that gift to fully serve God, uh, and which he continues to do. I just had dinner with him last week, and I mean, Tim's humility allows him to fully exercise his gifts in total dependence upon Christ. And he has this insane gift of his ability to comprehend and study the scriptures. And just he was reading some weird book on the, uh, the, the spiritual significance of the word mountain through the Bible as he's exploring. And I mean, this is classic. When we were doing the Gospel of Matthew, it was Tim. I'd be like, Tim, what are you reading for as we're for, for studying, I'm like reading a couple commentaries. He's like, oh, I'm reading this fascinating book on the plant life of the Sea of Galilee in the first century. I'm like, what, you nerd. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it's actually his humility, that is that he's not, he's not giving himself to this to make a name for himself, but he is fully giving himself to this thing because he loves Jesus and, and wants to understand the depths. And there's that childlike. That's why Jesus says, unless you become humble like a little child, I think that that humility is that childlike wonder that allows the gift actually to be fully manifested. And I, and I see that in Tim in a very powerful way. And what's, what's so disheartening to me is that the opposite of humility is often found in church leadership. And, and I, I can just say this, is that, Psalm 25, verse 9, it says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way, which tells us that humility is a necessary aspect of servant leadership if we want to actually understand the heart of God. Because we're told that he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think that 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, it gives us the, the, the statement, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The problem is, is that we often are exalting ourselves, which is what creates our anxieties, which creates our fears, because we're driven by a fear of men. But this is the reality that has to be set upon us if we're to think truly about what servant leadership is that unless there is a fundamental dedication to the Lord and a reliance upon him, all Christian leadership is an absolute sham. And I think that, that is true. And what I've seen uh, again and again 
are Christian leaders that fall by the wayside because they allowed pride to set in. And, and that is that pride comes before the fall. Uh, and, and, and pride is, is an abomination to the Lord, but it's not one that we often call out. We're quick to call out certain, certain sins in the church leadership are unacceptable, but often at the root of those failings started with an exaltation of self or an, or an independence from the Spirit of God rather than dependence upon him. One of the wisest things a man said to me when I started Door of Hope was he said, Josh, stay dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Humble yourself. Rely on him. Recognize him as the author of everything you do for the church. Because if you don't, you will be forced to rely upon your own cleverness, and it won't last very long. And I think that was a very wise word. And I will say this, that humility can either be learned, can either be, we can either humble ourselves or we can be humbled. And humility can be learned in the school of humiliation. And I have discovered that as well. So uh, all, all it takes is let the, let the ego start buying into your own press. Uh, you remember, there's a famous story of, uh, of uh, Charles Spurgeon was uh, preaching. And at the end of the sermon, this woman came up to him and said, said, sir, that is the greatest sermon I have ever heard. Has anyone else told you that? And he goes, yeah, the devil did five minutes ago. And I think that that, you know, it's humorous, but one can never be too cautious. So C.S. Lewis was once asked what he thought about his fame. And he said, one can never not think about it too much. And I think that that is a, a wonderful way of summing it up. Uh, an important thing about leadership is to realize that this is one of the gifts of God to the church. Leadership is not some office for which we can train. A leader is someone whom God raises up. And this is why the scripture says that we're not to lay hands too quickly on anyone, that we believe that leadership, uh, spiritual leadership or servant leadership is actually spiritual gifting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that people are identified by the community as they serve. It's not something that you, that you can just train yourself to be. It is something that God calls um, and empowers and, and equips. Verses 20 through 21, look what he goes on to say. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that we need to understand as a characteristic of a servant leader is that a servant leader is not simply humble, but he is also bold. And boldness requires humility for it to not turn into pride. Uh, but boldness is essential. And I love here, if you notice the words that he uses, I never shrunk from declaring to you, declaring uh, what is profitable, teaching in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was absolutely vocal uh, in his proclamation of the gospel. In fact, specifically, notice he says, uh, of repentance toward God, that is calling people to give up their idolatry, to turn from the false gods, uh, from themselves, and turn toward the only one who could save, which is the living Christ, Jesus. Boldness is absolutely necessary uh, in, regards to, in regards to servant leadership, because we live in a culture that is utterly opposed to the gospel. We live in a time that the gospel goes against the against the current um, of our world, and it fights against that current, and it's offensive to those who are perishing. And because of that, it requires boldness in your leadership. 
And I think that it's important because here's what I see happening is that as the pressures of culture increase uh, and the ethics of the kingdom of Christ become less and less palatable for modern sensibilities, preachers have one of two options to either maintain the path, the narrow path, and proclaim with boldness and without apology the reality that following Jesus is really hard. And when people ask, what will it cost me to follow Jesus? The only honest answer is everything. And we have to be unapologetic about that because we also know that it's the path to freedom. It's the path to actual real joy. It's the path to real meaning and significance out of life. The easiest path is not the path, uh, it's not the path that we should be going down. The path of least resistance is the enemy of the church. And I think that this is important for us to understand because as churches collapse under the pressures of cultural norms, what we give up is the gospel. And it's not long before you have a church that's preaching a crossless, Christless gospel. And that's not the gospel. And what I love about Paul is unabashedly, he says, I never stopped taking an opportunity to preach to you specifically repentance, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how popular it is to say there is no other name under heaven by which one can be saved but through the name of Jesus, that he is the way, the only way, the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him? That is, that's, a, that's a challenging message for today. That he's a king of a kingdom and that kingdom has ethics and he expects his children, his followers, by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to live in obedience to that reality? That is not popular for today. It requires a boldness. It requires a courage. And I, I think about when Joshua was handed over the reins by Moses in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Uh, Moses said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And what was Joshua asked to do by Moses? To lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But the promised land was filled with enemies that had to be fought. There was real battle. And I do believe that there is, a, that there is a, a spiritual significance in that story that plays into our reality today as we considered last week's uh, spiritual warfare and that our battle is not against principalities, of, uh, is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and powers of this age. And that we are in a real battle and that battle takes its toll and it requires real boldness and real courage. The function of leadership I believe, is to go out in front. It may mean going out on a limb. It certainly means to inspire and challenge. And, and challenge. Leaders must lead. Servant leaders must lead. And I think that this is why you see consistently in the, in, uh, the book of Acts, the call, the, the early church didn't pray for, uh, pray for the lost. They prayed for what? Boldness to proclaim the gospel to the lost. That's what we need. And it needs to be modeled by our leadership because if the leadership isn't bold, uh, the community won't be bold because we reflect one another. We become like those who we spend time with, with those who we spend listening to. Uh, and I think that this is an important reality that we are called to. Romans 1.16, what we need is what Paul had as a leader, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then the Gentile. And I think that this is also a, a really uh, prominent note that, that I think is important for us to see, is what created the boldness in Paul. It wasn't just because he was an obnoxious person, but it's because he was radically saved as a sinner and an enemy of the church by Jesus. Jesus intervened into his darkness. Uh, he, he stepped into the dark and brought 
forth light to Paul, and Paul fell in love with Jesus. And I would argue that boldness comes when our love for Jesus is greater than our fear of people. And that's what is necessary. If we don't love Jesus, we're not gonna be bold. Uh, look at verses 22 through 27. We see here that their servant leader is also faithful. And he says, now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. I just wanna mark that because the Holy Spirit is um, called the comforter. And I just am curious of how the Spirit said in a comforting way, uh, imprisonment and afflictions await you in every city. But hey, I'm with you. And that is actually the essence of it. That is the truth. You know, I, I know that sounds kind of weird, but I would argue that it is in seasons of intense affliction. Uh, it's, it's in seasons of great difficulty when, when the tenderness and the comfort of Jesus actually has become the most manifest in my life. Uh, and that is when we need to maintain absolute faithfulness because many of us are strong starters and weak finishers. And what we need to recognize, that's why Paul always used the language of a race to finish well, to fight the good fight, to run for the prize. And that Paul had a vision of what was coming and he was willing to endure. He even says, I want to participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Not many of us are comfortable saying that. Uh, I will say, when I went through eight months of severe anxiety uh, at year two of Door of Hope, it was during that time that there were moments where I sensed the presence of Jesus more profoundly than I ever have in my life. But I remember after I came through it and he delivered me from it, I'm like, can I have your presence, but not that again, ever again? I don't ever want that. It was terrifying. Thank you for letting me go through it. I needed to have more empathy and care and concern for others that were going through the same kind of thing, but please not that ever again. But it is true that when we are in pain, that the voice of Jesus, the comfort of Jesus, the comfort of his spirit becomes uh, even more clear. And I like what he says here. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. The, the Holy Spirit says, Paul, you're going to experience these trials as you stand fast in the gospel. But he says, I don't count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify once again toward the gospel uh, of, the, of the grace of God. I want to proclaim how good God is and his love that through, through Jesus, the Father is reconciling the world to himself and I get to be an ambassador of that reconciliation. He is so radically in love with Jesus that the suffering he experiences in this life is not worth uh, walking away from the goodness of this gospel. The gospel was worth it. It was worth the pain that he endured and the fact is, is that every city Paul went in, he preached until he was chased out. He was either almost beaten to the point of death, he was harassed, he was ridiculed, his character was often being thrashed uh, by, by people that were against him, and yet nothing could prevent him from staying on task. A servant leader must be faithful. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. What Paul is saying there is this, because uh, he goes, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. All that I know of God through Jesus, I have proclaimed to you. I am innocent uh, in the sense that I have a clean conscience because I have fully proclaimed the gospel. And what he's saying is that I am called to be a witness. I am not responsible for the outcome. 
And I think that's really important for us to understand. We are not called to save people. We are called to live out both in word and deed the fullness of the gospel. Uh, and, a, and servant leaders must be faithful to do that. If someone undertakes Christian leadership for the, for the financial rewards or the prestige or the popularity or simple, simply as a suitable job, the results will be disastrous. Nothing less than wholeheartedness will suffice because leadership is hard and disappointments abound. That's the reality. I think about the, I mean, I, just even this conversation that we're having with Redeemer and talking with Tim and being in, having a church that's struggling to survive. Uh, it's difficult to stay faithful to the gospel. We need one another, uh, but we need to encourage one another toward faithfulness because it's easy. I watch people throw in the towel. It's too hard to follow Jesus. It's too much pressure. Uh, and, and I think the enemy plays on that, the spiritual warfare that goes along with that when we feel like we're failing and when we feel like we're not faithful. Then he says, look, you can't do it anyway, so why even bother? But that's where we can't listen to the lies of the enemy. This is why we need to listen to the Spirit of God to trust in the scriptures, to maintain faithfulness, to not grow weary of doing good, which is what Paul constantly encourages. Galatians 6, 9, for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And I think that that's one of the things that allowed Paul to maintain faithfulness in spite of the afflictions is that he was confident in a future hope. And I think that one of the problems in the church today is we have lost our sense of an eternal perspective, that this life is not all there is that the best is actually yet to come. Uh, and, and if we don't believe that, and that's hard to believe uh, in a place where we have created so much creature comforts for ourselves, uh, but this is the reality. Uh, I, I think that, that Paul's faithfulness um, in spite of his affliction is played out even perfectly in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, when he even talks about that, that uh, he was given by the devil a thorn in his flesh, uh, and he prayed three times that God would remove it. We don't know what the thorn in his flesh was, if it was physical ailment, if it was spiritual attack. It's probably all of the above. Uh, and he prayed that God would remove it. Uh, and and this, this tells us something about healing. Does God heal? He does. Does he always heal? He does not. And that's one of the things that we have to trust the Spirit and uh, give the Spirit the freedom to be sovereign in his right to be God. <laughs> Uh, but I think that this is important because Paul goes on to say, but he said to me, that is, God said to me, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. Be dependent on, on my grace. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul actually puts together this idea, faithfulness actually comes out of a recognition of weakness, which created in him a dependence upon the spirit of God for power. It's so fascinating. It's really beautiful. Uh, Hebrews 12, uh, verse three says, consider him who endured for sin from sinners such hostility against himself. If we think about the suffering of Jesus for the world, um, that should be the thing that inspires us because he goes on to say, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The writer of Hebrews wrote to a church that was on the verge of apostasy because they were coming under such, uh, such danger of being, of being killed for their faith. And so the, the preacher is trying to encourage the church to not turn their back on Jesus, but actually meditate upon the sufferings of Christ that they might maintain faithfulness, not grow weary of doing good. And I can tell you, that leading a church has been the most powerful experience of my life. Beautiful for Darcy and I. 
but it has also been the most exhausting thing I've ever done as well. Uh, and, and it's been at times the most painful. We have watched so many pastors. In the years of ministry, we, one of the uh, church we once worked for where the pastor and his wife had been hurt so many times by people within the community that they just basically chose to not have friends any longer uh, because they couldn't handle the, the pain of it. Uh, and I think that that is a reality, but what we have to maintain is faithfulness. We have to push through those things because the rewards are great too. The gift of being able to serve the king, a servant leader, uh, is faithful. And I just, I know, I mean, I've, I've gone through uh, every, I'm convinced, you know, some may say it's just because I'm 45 that my beard is, beard is turning white. I, I think it's, I think it's you guys that's doing it to me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it makes me look wiser. A servant leader is also watchful. Look at verses 28 through 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And here Paul turns the attention from himself and his own ministry and the realities of what he's experiencing. And I, I, I love, we just thought he's faithful. He's like, I don't even care about my life as long as I fulfill the mission that God has given me. And now he turns his attention to the elders. And just so you guys know, uh, I think it's important that you notice that elders is plural uh, and that leadership is a shared reality. Uh, and this is why Door of Hope is, uh, has a plurality of elders. I do not make decisions in a vacuum. Uh, we make decisions together uh, as, as, as an elder, uh, as in plurality of elders and as a, and as a plurality of pastoral uh, care. And we even invite our lay leaders, our community group leaders, and, and whatnot into, the, into those realities as well. We believe that the best way to function as the church is to function in shared leadership. But what I want you to see here is how Paul encourages those overseers, those shepherds, um, how to care for the church. And what he calls them to be is watchful. He says, pay careful. First of all, he calls them to be, uh, be watchful of their own lives. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. He did something very similar in his letters to Timothy, who was a young pastor. When he said to Timothy, he said, take heed to your own godliness. He didn't say take heed to your people's godliness, but he says, take heed to your own godliness. He goes, because by doing so, not only will you save yourself, but you will save your listeners as well. In other words, it is a life that models the truth of Jesus that is compelling when the gospel is communicated. Uh, and I think that that is super important. But then he says, and watch the flock. In other words, it gives us a picture of what is the responsibility of the, of, of the servant leader. What are we called to be? What does a pastor do? What does an elder do? And he says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice how through every one of these things, he keeps weaving the gospel of grace into this that as the thing that actually should motivate us to truly be the servant leaders that he's called us to be. But he says, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, and this is why we need to be watchful, we have to pay attention to our own lives, uh, we need to pay attention to our flock, but we also need to watch out for the enemies of the gospel. He says, for fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, and from among your own selves, this is why he says, pay careful attention to yourself, is the danger of, the, of, our, our, of our own ability to actually be conduits by which we become Satan's tools. <laughs> this, is, this is a horrifying possibility why we need to have shared leadership, is that we have to hold each other accountable, that it is, it, it is actually very easy to fall into error when we try to live the Christian lives alone 
uh, which is what we are not to do. And I think it's important for us to note too, and this has been my own personal experience, is that wolves never know that they're wolves. It's very rare that you meet someone that comes in with an actual premeditated desire to harm the church of God. Usually a wolf is someone who actually thinks that they, are, are the po- they have the possibility of setting free the deceived, which is everyone else but them. Uh, there's only been a couple times where I've had to remove uh, wolves from the midst of Door of Hope, uh, and where there was literally just holding to false doctrine, where they were sowing discord, challenging and critiquing the leadership and belief system. We had a guy that was a part of the Baha'i faith that was trying to convince people to join, and he thought the Door of Hope was the place to do that. Um, and, and I remember asking him on, an, I mean, it was when we were only a year old, and I remember going up to him and saying, you're not you're not welcome here doing what you're doing. You're welcome to come and, and hear the gospel preached, but, but this is not a place for you to come and preach what I consider to be a false doctrine that's unbiblical. Uh, you're telling people lies, uh, and you're sowing discord, and, you're, and on top of that, you're talking way too close to girls and getting up in their private space, just this close to their faces, and they were, uh, several girls came to me and got really uncomfortable, and I challenged him to his face, and then it was like, I'm like, whoa, this is going to happen. I'm gonna th- we're going to throw down right now. Because he just got in my face and started cussing at me. And I just held my ground and I just said, if you don't leave the building, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to physically walk you out of the building. And then, he, and then he ran out of the building screaming at me, all the way down the street screaming at me. Uh, and I was like, and then I almost collapsed in total. I'm like, I was trying so hard to be tough right then. But I really, I did not. I, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And uh, <laughs> If you're an Enneagram fan, man, I'm a seven. I, have, I, have, I function from fear, okay? Uh, so I just want to have fun. I don't, don't want to. So I could talk myself out of any fight. And that was when I'm like, but I'm an, I was mad, though, because this person was threatening our community. And I felt I had a responsibility to be a shepherd. Uh, and, and I think that a servant leader is watchful. And I think that, that we need to understand that shepherds' responsibility are to care for Christ's sheep. To, um, they're called attend feed and protect them. And this is why Paul even says to, his, to the church in, in Corinth, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be strong. We all love to be loved. I think that that's a reality. But sometimes if we are faithful, we have to confront. And Paul was willing to do this and take risk into risk ensuing unpopularity. And now he warns them very directly that they must take heed to themselves above all. If they are to qualify for Christian leadership, they must take heed to the flock entrusted to them. And what this means is that we need discernment as a church. We have to protect. We have to protect this flock, and we need discernment, and we have to be willing to say unpopular things. The, fall, the, the servant leader is watchful, uh, and I think that that is really an important aspect of leadership. Uh, look at verses 32 through 35. A servant leader is also generous. Uh, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, once again, motivated by grace, God's riches toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, I think that this is important, uh, the gift of God's love uh, that comes to us in Jesus is what inspires us to be servant leaders, to be humble, uh, to be bold, uh, to be faithful, to be watchful, and it definitely is the thing that motivates us to be generous, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul was reminding them that he worked with his own hands for his living. He did not take 
take money from the church because he never wanted to be accused of, of wrong motives. And this is something that he, even though he himself said that, uh, that, uh, that shepherds should be, that should be paid uh, by the church, he himself did not, as an apostle, did not do that, uh, which allowed him to be trusted with money from the church as well to bring to other churches that were in need. But he says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must, and look what, what's motivating him. He wants to be known. Uh, for, he, so the gospel is known by its generosity. He says, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I think that this is important for us to be reminded of grace inspires generosity. Second Corinthians 8, 9, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I think that the most profound statement, um, pastoral statement in the, in the Bible is actually found uh, in Second Corinthians twelve fifteen, when Paul himself said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So profound. Every servant leader should have that verse written on their heart. This is important because generosity, when we think about the servant leader is generous, we're generous, we should be generous with our time, we should be generous with our gifts, we should be generous with our belongings, because a servant leader, if we were to go back to humility, humility is total dependence upon the Spirit's leading, and we are to be poured out for the good of the community. You know, one of the things that we do for anyone that um, is, that is uh, becoming an elder or anyone that is entering the pastoral staff, we don't know what people give. Uh, only, only our bookkeeper uh, knows that, and Russ, who's over finances, uh, but mainly uh, what we do is for any pastoral staff or any elder consideration, uh, we check their giving record. And in fact, I ask, just so you guys know, so I'm held accountable, I ask, I ask Russ to check my giving record every year so that I can be above reproach and be held accountable because I am to contribute to this community just like everybody else. And so uh, this is something that's important is that we want to know that the people that are gonna be caring for you are generous people in every arena. Uh, and that is super important for, uh, for our elder team. It's super important for our pastoral leadership team. But the reason that we do that, uh, one of the reasons is because we believe in God's work and what he's doing in our church, but also to actually live by example what we hope that the community will do. And we can't expect anything of you that we aren't willing to do ourselves. That, is, that has to be the case. A servant leader always lives by example, not by command. Um, and I think that that's super important. And then finally, uh, in verses 36 to 38, a servant leader is relational. And look what he says. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Uh, and I, I could say the servant leader is prayerful, which is true. Um, but I think relational is really important here because he prays with them all. He's in the midst of them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. Do you guys know that the, all the elders embrace and kiss me every time they, no, I'm just joking, they, they don't. Uh, being sorrowful most of all because of the word which he had spoken. So just, he lived with them. Uh, they, that they would not see his face again and that they accompanied him to the ship. And so here, here's the thing that I wanted to point out as, this, uh, as we close here, is the servant leader is relational because by the very nature of what the gospel is about, 
The gospel is about a restoration of God's image in our lives. And God is a relational God. He is a, he is a community within himself. This is why I consider myself a Trinitarian. Uh, if Trinitarian theology is very appealing to me because it speaks to the heart of who God is. He made us to be relational because he himself is relational. And what does the gospel do? The gospel restores relationship in three directions. It restores relationship with God. It restores relationship with others. And then and only then does it restore a right relationship to ourselves. The power of this particular passage shows that often the mindset within the Western church has been a misinterpretation of Acts chapter 6 when the apostles say, what, what, what's the word of the apostles? Hey, it's not good that we serve tables any longer. Um, we need to be studying the word and praying. I think that many pastors have taken that to an extreme that goes far beyond what the, what the scripture is declaring there and have isolated themselves from community. And that is the, why, if the essence of the gospel is a restoration of relationship, why would we want our leaders to be not in relationship? Uh, and I think that the, the danger is this, is that when you lead a church for a long time, uh, you do become more and more uh, aware of, of your own weakness, your own brokenness. You've gone through painful relationships. You've experienced enough things and trials that it is a temptation to isolate oneself. And the reason I share this with you is because I want you guys to hold me accountable and the rest of, of, the, of the leadership over Door of Hope is that we, if we want to be effective in the proclamation of the gospel, we need to play out restored relationship in three directions. And I would say that anytime, if I become a pastor that shares, shares stories about people from from 10 years ago because I haven't had friendships in 10 years, then you, there's something fundamentally wrong with my leadership. And, and we can laugh, but that actually happens all the time. And I think it creates really, really unhealthy churches. One of the reasons that we are, have a vision for the idea of a family of churches is because we believe that the age of the megachurch is over. Uh, that the idea that you can actually have a healthy church experience as a community and, and, and having worked at churches of over 5,000 people, it is almost impossible to know and to be known in that kind of, it's almost, like, it's almost like there's no one there when there's everybody there. And so one of our hearts is what would it look like to have a family of church communities where more people have the opportunity to serve, where we raise up more pastors to lead communities, where we see more effective uh, uh, integration into the various communities throughout Portland where the gospel is going forth because there's a reconciled people bringing the reconciling word of Jesus to that community. And that's one of the reasons that we're even toying with this, this exploration with Redeemer right now, why we're looking at how can we utilize our Northeast building and plant a healthy church into that building. Um, so I'm excited because I want us to be a church that is known for our love for one another. I think that these these seven characteristics are what you should be looking for in your leadership. If Door of Hope is, if you're just here visiting and you're wanting to know uh, if this is the church for you, um, I would say whatever church you land at, uh, these are the qualities that you should be looking for in, your, in the leadership, that they are humble, that they are bold, that they are faithful, that they are watchful, that they are generous, and that they are relational. May we fulfill the great commission. May we live out the gospel and may the gospel of Jesus Christ inspire us in everything we do. Amen? Let's pray.